This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. In your Bibles to the New Testament, to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're in a series on Philippians. We're going to be looking today carefully at verses 19 through 30, chapter 2. And so it's going to be important for you to have a copy of the Scriptures. If you don't have one, if you'll raise your hand, uh, ushers will bring you a copy. I believe the Lord wants to lead us today from this text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Lord, our prayer is today that you would bless the preaching of your word. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly, I myself will come also. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's Word. God's at work in His people. He's bringing about sovereign, redemptive purposes. As Nebuchadnezzar said, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He is at work in the church, both to will 
and to work according to his good pleasure. If you look in verses 12 and 13, our our mission is to be Christ-like servants of the gospel in the midst of a crooked, a dark generation, a dark world. We're called to shine as lights in the darkness. We are to be humble, blameless people who are united in Christ. We are called to unselfishly serve one another and the world around us by proclaiming the gospel, by advancing the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. So our mission will change the world. It's what society needs. It needs the gospel. So we've seen Paul talk about partnering together in the gospel, confirming the gospel, advancing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, defending the gospel, and living lives worthy of the gospel. That's the context that we find ourselves in as we look at this text today. D.A. Carson is a well-known Christian leader. People have called him the John Calvin of our generation. He's been kind enough to visit us a couple of times. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. We love his books. He's come here because he loves evangelism. He loves to preach the gospel on college campuses. We've taken advantage of that with VFC and had him in. He tells a story of beginning an evangelistic Bible study when he was an undergrad at McGill University studying chemistry and mathematics. This was before he was John Calvin. He'd never done this before. He'd never had an evangelistic Bible study like this. And he was nervous. D.A. Carson was nervous. He had a helper, and they only invited three people, and he was not encouraged when they all showed up. Within three weeks, there were 16 students coming to the Bible study. His dorm room was crammed. I had a similar experience. It brought back memories. I bet his Bible study was better than mine. (laughs) There were only two Christians, and they were young believers. So he wasn't encouraged when there were 16 people. He said, I soon discovered I I was out of my depth. He knew a guy on campus, though, named Dave. Dave was a rough, blunt-talking graduate student, Carson said, but was known to students as someone who was good to talk to people like them about biblical Christianity. So Carson decided to take some of his friends for a little chat with Dave. And from his Bible study, he brought two students, and Dave was pressed for time, but he offered them coffee, said to the first student, why have you come to see me? And the kid said, I've I've been going to this Bible study. I I realize as a college student, I should learn about Christianity. I want to learn about Buddhism and Islam and other religions. If you can help me, I'd be grateful. And Dave said, sorry, I don't have time for you. Carson said his jaw dropped. And the student said, I beg your pardon? And he said, I I don't have time for those kinds of questions. You can figure that out in in books. You can talk to other people on campus, but I don't have time for that. He turned to the second student, Rick, and asked him, why did you come? 
Understandably, Rick was a bit nervous. He explained he had grown up in a happy, healthy, non-Christian home. He just didn't think Christians were any better. So he asked Dave, apart from some sort of theological philosophy, what have you got that I don't have? Carson held his breath, he said. Dave simply said, watch me. The student said, sorry, I, I don't understand. Watch me. Come and live with me for a month, month if you like. Be my guest. Watch what I do when I get up, what I do when I'm on my own, how I work, how I use my time, how I talk to people, what my values are. Come with me wherever I go, and at the end of the month, you tell me if there's a difference. Now, Rick didn't move in with Dave, but he did get to know him, and he did become a Christian. He became a doctor, got a medical degree, married a Christian woman, and served the Lord. Watching Dave changed his life. When, when Dave said, watch me, it sounded arrogant to D.A. Carson at the time, but he remembered the Apostle Paul said things like this. Look down in verse 17 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example we have in us. We are to be humble, blameless people. We are united to Christ. And by the grace of God, unselfishly serve one another and the world around us. Advancing the gospel through our words and our behavior. We are to be Christ-like. And we want to say to the world, watch me. We began this series in September last fall. We've taken a break for Advent and some other things. So I want to just rem remember. Remember how this church began. Remember the Apostle Paul's relationship. It's very important to understand this text we're in today. Remember that Timothy joined Paul, we learn, in Acts 16, and soon thereafter the Spirit led Paul to go into Macedonia, where Philippi was a leading city. Remember, he had Silas, he had Timothy, he had Luke with him. They sailed from Asia Minor, they came to Europe, and they changed history. It all began when the Lord opened a woman's heart named Lydia, and she and her whole household came to Christ. Then a young, a young woman who was a slave was delivered of the demonic and came to Christ. Her owners weren't happy. Paul ended up in jail with Silas, where the jailer came to Christ. The church in Philippi started with these three people, a wealthy businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, a hard-hearted former military man, now a jailer. And from that church, the gospel advanced all across Europe. God changed the world. Alan Krieger, he's written such an interesting book about how Christianity changed the Roman Empire. He says this in that early church, the sources rarely indicate that the early Christians grew in number because they won arguments. Instead, they grew because their habitual behavior 
rooted in patience, rooted in trusting the Lord, was distinctive and intriguing. It enabled them to address problems that ordinary people faced in ways that offered hope. It's very relevant to to our church today. When challenged about their ideas, Christians pointed to their actions. Watch me. The sources indicate that it was their behavior more than their ideas that appealed to the majority of non-Christians who came to join them. Paul had a special relationship with this church. They were partners in the gospel with him. We've seen this many times. They supported him sacrificially time and time. Again, even beyond their means. He had concerns about the church. There were seeds of division that prompted this letter. They were filled with joy, but there were seeds of division. He was concerned about them. He loved them. He had a unique relationship with them. So he he has stressed the importance of unity. At one point, the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus. He He was a beloved member of their church. He was a gifted man. And they sent with Epaphroditus a gift, another financial gift to help Paul in his ministry while he is under arrest in Rome. He needed help. And while serving the church and Paul, Epaphroditus became very ill. The church was anxious about their brother as we would be. It would have taken a month to travel back and forth to Rome. And it was just a very difficult time for situations like these. Imagine. And in our text, Paul is sending the healthy and healed Epaphroditus back to them so there could be just a party and their fears could be relieved. And he could give them this letter. In our text, what we learn about, and this is intentional on Paul's part, is two extraordinary servants of Christ. He wants his readers to follow their example, including us. Examples teach. Watch me. That's what we're supposed to do. Have this mind, he said in chapter 2, verse 5, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't let these seeds of division grow. Think about other people. Be like Christ. What's it look like? Well, it's made clear in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are are Christ-like and they're great for us to watch and look at as we seek to grow in godliness. So first of all, Timothy. Paul tells us about Timothy. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how to go with me. I'm in prison. I might be executed. I want to see where this is going. And then I'm going to send Timothy. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly, that shortly I myself will come also. Paul's not trying to get out of a trip there. He wants to come too. He loves this church. He wants to send Timothy, Epaphroditus. He wants to go. It's a great church. But first, he's going to send Timothy. Timothy's departure is delayed. But he's confident he'll be sending him. And he wants to do this so that he can be cheered. He thinks the church is going to be very excited 
by Timothy's report about Paul in prison and how it's advancing the gospel and how he's doing well. But he's really looking forward to the report from Timothy. Imagine how this would make the, the church there feel as they heard, Paul wants to be cheered by news about you. It would, it would motivate you, wouldn't it? He, he's going to be cheered by what? By their unity. He's going to be discouraged by their disunity. But he says about Timothy in verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is a rare one. He shares Paul's heart, Paul's love, Paul's passion for the church. There's no one like him that has unity of mind, unity of purpose, loves this church like Timothy. He's a rare friend. And Paul was a man with many friends, but this kid was unique. One of the reasons for the letter to the Philippians was to let them know, I'm sending Timothy. It, it was a powerful expression of his love for the church. He began, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 1, he began the letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, we're at Philippi. Timothy doesn't write the letter. He isn't the apostle. He's a humble young man who seeks to help the apostle Paul. He follows Paul's leadership. He's truly great. By the time Paul wrote Philippians, he and Timothy had logged many, many, many miles together. He loved this guy. They'd experienced much in life and ministry side by side. He had no one else like him. He's now in prison. Timothy faithfully by his side. He was there to care for his needs, carry out his instructions. He was supporting him in whatever way he could for gospel ministry to continue. He had been intimately involved in the church in Philippi since it began. He may have already visited the church up to three times. They knew this guy. Imagine the joy when they read, this guy's coming back. There were issues in the church. Paul wanted to serve them. He trusted Timothy like few others. For him to send this guy, this man, this assistant that he loved so much and needed so much while he's in prison is a tremendous expression of his love for this church. This is a great example. Let's pause for a moment. This is the way it should be in the church today. It should be this kind of relationship between Christian leaders, between pastors and congregations. I, I'm thankful I can relate to this. I, I know the love of a pastor for a congregation. I think this church loves the pastors. I know the pastors love this church. It should be this way. And that's what we see with Paul, with Timothy, and this congregation in Philippi. Verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. You know he's been with you. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the, in the gospel. They had seen this relationship. He shares Paul's mind and his heart. No one will represent the apostle Paul like Timothy. They know this. They've seen it. They've seen his proven worth. He's a true child in the faith. 
Verse 30, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word translated concerned in verse 30 is the same word translated anxious. In chapter 4, the famous verses in chapter 4 we'll get to that say, be anxious for nothing. I have no one like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. There, there's a sinful anxiety, sure, but there is a legitimate anxiety. Freedom from anxiety should not lead to a lack of concern for others or a lack of anxiety for the church necessarily. Paul was anxious about the church. He sent an Epaphrodite so he'll have less anxiety. He's anxious in a right way. There, there are seeds of division. They're anxious about Epaphroditus. He's anxious about their anxiety. They're worried about, is he going to die? And he's anxious. He, it's a month trip. He, he can't send an email. He wants to comfort them. He's anxious about that. He's, been, he's grateful for the gift they sent, both in Epaphroditus and the finances. Do they know he's grateful? He's anxious that they figure that out, that he, he's able to say, thank you. You're the best. Says that again and again. In this letter, he's anxious about the church. Pastors should be anxious about churches. Members of the body of Christ should have a, a deep concern for a church. It's cold today. Hopefully, you, you have a fireplace. I have a fireplace. Shout out to Slade and John for keeping me supplied with wood when I can't swing an axe right now. But keeping a fire going on a cold day in a in a fireplace is, is like caring about a church. Now trust me, I, I've forgot more about fires than most of you know. It's not boasting, it's just truth. I have a lot of experience with fires, but I, I really have a hard time taking care of them right now. So I find myself coaching people up. I'm like, you know, the fire needs a poke. Or, you know, can you, can you push that one log back just a little bit? Or maybe you need to add a little kindling. I have like kicking kindling. Just throw a little bit in there and it'll get it going again. Or it needs some air. Could you blow on it just a minute? The main thing a fire needs is constant attention and care. Yeah, I can see it in your face. You're not committed enough to deal with my fire. I would fire you. I can see it. You don't get it. You don't believe me. Your fires go out. That's why you don't have fires and why you don't like fires. Fires have to have someone who cares deeply. Keep them going. Churches are the same way. They need people, they need members, they need pastors who care about them and, and have the willingness to invest in them so that they prosper. And that's what you're seeing with Paul. And don't miss this. He cares about this local church. Again, verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. What's good for you? 
For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul isn't in, insulting all the other co-workers he constantly is mentioning and good friends. But remember, he talked about people, preachers of the gospel who were selfishly am, ambitious. And so he's already mentioned them. Timothy is different. He's not like that. I'm sending him back because he didn't care about himself. He cares about you. Here's what D.A. Carson says. This is nothing other than a sign that Timothy follows not only Paul, but Jesus. Although Christ Jesus enjoyed equality with God, he didn't think of such equality as something to be exploited, but adopted the form of a servant. Jesus Christ became a human being, a man, and then obediently went to his odious death on the cross. Those who followed Jesus Christ inevitably learned to cast self-interest and self-comfort and self-focus to one side. Paul knows that as a general rule, everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy has escaped that narrow snare. Our friend Dave said, watch me. Paul is saying, watch Timothy. Escape that narrow snare. With all of this, Paul is preaching what he's already taught them about. He knows about these seeds of division. Chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Timothy is an example to follow. He's, he's, this is intentional. He's preaching the same truth. Look at Timothy. He's, this, he is Christ-like. His willingness to serve Christ is exemplary. It, it's a rebuke to everyone who is selfishly ambitious and unconcerned about others in the church. You know, verse 22, Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul is sending Timothy because the church knows him. He's been tested. He's proven. Proven character is produced by perseverance under difficult circumstances. They've seen it. They've seen it in Timothy. They've watched it. He's proven. He's a servant of Christ. He's a servant of the gospel. He's faithfully served them, the church. He's confirmed. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's my master. He's endured trials. He's remained faithful. He's like a son with the father to Paul. He's loyal. He's nurtured in the faith. He'll be faithful to communicate everything that Paul teaches. This is the mission of the church. And this is why Paul is sending Timothy to Philippi. The second Christ-like example is Epaphroditus. Look in verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger 
and minister to my need. He's the man that brought the letter to Philippi. Verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He did things they weren't able to do just because of distance. Epaphroditus took the responsibility, was faithful to complete the mission, and in it almost died. He is Christ-like. Remember the Philippian church partnered with Paul to advance the gospel. They had a heart to serve with Paul. They saw that God was at work through him and they were part of it. Their mission wasn't to be the apostle, but it was to serve the apostle, to, to give him finances when he needed them, to, to, to come to his aid in any way they could. Right now, he needed an assistant. And so they sent this beloved member of their church who brings a gift but the greatest gift is himself. And it's, it's gospel work. It's verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ. Behind the church, behind Paul, Christ is at work accomplishing his will. He is doing his work through Epaphroditus. He nearly died for the work of Christ. When, when the servant of Christ does this, it... it it has value, it has meaning even beyond the service because it points to Christ. This humble, self-sacrificing attitude is an example for us to look on and think about and be changed by. Epaphroditus put himself in harm's way. He exposed himself to great danger. It almost cost him his life. It's, it's a challenge to the original recipients of Paul's letter it's a challenge to those of us reading it today. The church couldn't be with Paul in prison. Epaphroditus made up for that. He, he came to help Paul, to give Paul what he needed. They weren't able to do it. So Epaphroditus accepted the mission to go and help the Apostle Paul. Somewhere along the line, he, he got very, very ill. He almost died. It was a burden to Paul. It was a burden to his friends. He risked his life. The willingness of him to do this is Christ-like. Christ was obedient to death. Paphroditus risked his life to serve Christ. His name comes from the name of a Greek goddess. It means favorite of Aphrodite the goddess of fortune, but he had the character of Christ. Christ took the form of a servant. We, we read about in the great Christ hymn in chapter 2. He, he was obedient to death. Epaphroditus is like Christ. He exhibited the character of Christ. He's given this responsibility. He takes this mission. Apostles were given truth by the Lord. Paul was an apostle along with the 12 apostles that Jesus lived with. They were teachers. They were like the prophets of the Old Testament. They, they had authority. 
They were entrusted with God's Word. That's why what we're reading today is God's Word. Paul was an apostle. They're unique men. The responsibility of truth. They were missionaries. They launched the church that God purchased through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They possessed the full authority of Christ. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to assist Paul, the apostle, in his work. He's not an apostle, but he's an outstanding servant. He is Paul's personal assistant. Paul's in prison. He needs help. He was sent to take care of Paul's needs on behalf of the church. Look to chapter 4, verse 14. It was kind of you. He's closing the letter. He says to the church, it was kind of you. He wants to know how much he appreciates it to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Wouldn't you like to be that church? Wouldn't that encourage you? Even in Thessalonica, which was close by, you sent me help for my needs once and again. As soon as I left, you started helping. Not that I seek the gift. Paul's like, no more gifts. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, that brings him joy. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift she sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. Don't send any more, but thank you. Paul says about Epaphroditus in verse 25, he gives him five titles. Verse 25, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, your minister to my need. He has quite a relationship with this guy, his assistant. My, my brother means more than, hey, bro. Paul says he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He, he's committed to this man. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul had experienced much sorrow. He knows about sorrow. It doesn't always end this way. But this time, Paul didn't have sorrow upon sorrow. God had mercy. He was near death. He was very ill. This is Paul's fellow worker. It's his brother. It's his fellow soldier. And the Lord had mercy. He was serving the Philippian church by serving Paul. He was their minister to his need. He came. He met his needs. The church had this special relationship. They begged for the opportunity to serve him. And sending Epaphroditus was a sacrifice. As much as he was a blessing to Paul. He was a blessing to the church. This was one very special believer. And they loved him. Paul loved him. 
Everybody loved him. Can't we all just give glory to God for having mercy on Epaphroditus and healing him? Not just for Epaphroditus' sake, but for everybody's sake. I mean, this guy was beloved, and everybody was blessed. A little over three years ago, we sent out a beloved pastor, Walt Alexander, to plant a church in Athens. Many of you are still mad at me about this. I miss Walt very much. Sherry really misses Kim, his wife. I don't miss Walt as much as Sherry misses Kim. But you know what? This is our calling. We needed to do this. We're, we, we have a calling like the church in Philippi. We have things the Lord wants us to do. And I believe we needed to do that. It wasn't my preference. I've been to the church a couple of times. And each time I come away singing, He leadeth me. He, he led us. Sending out a beloved pastor doesn't feel good. And, and the, in Philippi, it still didn't feel good. And when they found out he was ill and he was near death and they were anxious, it didn't feel good. But it was the Lord's will. And they're servants of Christ. So they sacrifice. They don't look out for their own interests. It's, it's so interesting that all of, the, all of the anxiety, all the angst, all that's going on here is about others. It's not about themselves. I was very ill. No, no, no. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about Epaphroditus. Paul isn't worried about Paul. He's worried about the church in Philippi. Hey, can somebody worry about themselves here? No. We, we, just, we have a picture of Christ-likeness for us to emulate. Epaphroditus was Paul's fellow soldier. Paul knew that the work of Christ is going to lead you into battle. You're going to be opposed. You're going to be persecuted. Epaphroditus probably stayed in the prison with Paul. He was his assistant. He would come, get his directions and serve him. He experienced persecution and opposition. He served Paul in countless ways. Verse 26, he has been longing for you. One of the greatest sacrifices was he loved them. He longed for them. Some commentators make, make comments about Epaphroditus and his longing and he's distressed. And they, they, they say he, he's emotionally immature. This is a bad case of homesickness. Grow up, put your big boy pants on, Epaphroditus. But Paul doesn't look down on him for this. He thinks this is normal. He thinks this is right. He thinks this is the way you feel about your friends in the church. It's, it's a healthy sign of a good man and good friendships. He's been away for a long time. He's had a serious illness. They're worried about him. He's anxious for them. God had mercy on him. Notice that Paul is putting the focus on God's mercy. Glory to God. He almost died, but God healed this man. 
saved him, rescued him. I think, I think the way the text communicates, everybody would have been betting he's going to die. And God rescued him miraculously, and Paul is celebrating. Imagine, their prayers were intense. But you think we had a prayer week. I'm sure they had a prayer week. I'm sure they had a prayer night. Praying for their friend. They're anxious. They're a month away from Rome. They can't find out what's going on. They're crying out to God. Their prayers are intensive. But we, we don't hear a word about that. What we hear about is God's mercy. That's what Paul talks about. Because it doesn't depend on man's will or exertion. It depends on God's mercy. It depends on God's mercy. Recovery or no recovery. We celebrate His mercy. Cry out for mercy. We're going to have a time of prayer in a few minutes. Second, every second Sunday we have a ministry time. I'm going to invite you to come to the front. We want to cry out for God's mercy. Paul says in verse 28, I'm the more eager to send him to you now. I'm more eager than I've ever been. There was a plan for him to be a little longer, but I'm, I am eager to send him so that you may rejoice at seeing him again and I can be less anxious. So he is encouraging them. Verse 29 to receive him in the Lord with all joy. One commentator said he urges them to give Epaphroditus a really great banquet and a permanent place of honor rather than a simple potluck supper and a quick nod for his service. He wants a party going on in Philippi. When this guy returns, he wants joy. He wants them to celebrate God's glory, God's mercy in Epaphroditus' life, in Paul's life, the church's life. He is picturing celebration. He's sending him back because it's going to serve him. You imagine, as Paul thought about this, when the near-death Epaphroditus walks in the door, that, that is just a wonderful thought for the Apostle Paul. He loves the church. He loves Epaphroditus. Most of all, he lives for the glory of God. And the church is going to be strengthened. God has been merciful. Receive him in the Lord. He's, he's united to them. Through the gospel, receive him in the Lord. And I can't wait to hear the news because it's going to make me cheerful. Paul has held up these servants for us. And God is saying to us, be like Christ, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus, be like Paul. That's what he's saying to us. By God's grace, God is at work in our church to make us Christ-like, so that we can say, watch me, see if there's a difference, and give glory to God. Amen. Walter Hansen says this in his commentary, through all the troubles and disappointments of his life, Paul is able to see and delight in the radiance of Christ, reflected in the character and service of his friends. When he draws their portraits when he paints this picture for us, 
He shows how ordinary people, like you and me, give themselves sacrificially to serve the needs of others as Christ did. And in this way, his friends become an extension of his imperative, his command to have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. That's our calling. That's our mission. Gary, Gary had a prophetic word. I hope you heard it. It was very interesting from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Very much in line with this text. The Lord promises to be with us. And we have a calling to fulfill the Great Commission. I want to invite the, the worship team to come back up. And we're going to have a time of prayer for you. I'd like to invite the prayer teams to come. There'll be pastors here and individuals in the church who we've equipped to pray for you. We're going to look forward to God's mercy being poured out on our church. So please stand. I'm going to pray. And when we start singing, please don't be bashful. Come straight to the front and let us pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for building our faith today, Lord. Thanks for given us examples of pastors and churches and people, servants, Christ-like people that we can look at and by your grace become like so that we might bring you glory. I pray for this ministry time now. Lord, pour out your spirit. Have mercy on this congregation and every individual. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.